Good morning, everybody. My name is Graham, and uh, I'm the pastor at Into One Community Church. That is, of course, the uh, the church that no one can actually get the name right for. It's just Into One. Like, it's not hard to say. Um, I have really grown to enjoy these annual gatherings, these times when we get together. So many of you from so many different backgrounds, so many different churches gathered together. I love it. But I gotta say, I also love meeting together every weekend into one. Um, but but I do like this uh, kind of tent atmosphere that we have when we're out here. Maybe you feel the same. Like it feels like there's something extra special happening today. Great to be at our home churches, but it's also nice nice to be in this kind of festival feeling kind of place. Fantastic to be surrounded by God's people. So I'm glad that you're here. Maybe your church doesn't feel quite so packed like this one does. Maybe you guys got some empty seats at your place. And church attendance is just not what it used to be. Um, they say that now probably less than 10% of the, the community goes to church. And I think, honestly, if you were to, to judge it, it's probably less than 5% goes. And I'm sure you can remember days when that wasn't the case at all. And th this is not a Scoville-specific issue. This is, this is a, a Canada issue. Once there was a Christian majority, there is no longer a Christian majority. And being a, a minority is different than being a majority. The way you think, the way, the way that you live, the way that you function is now different. Now, if, if I'm not mistaken, when I tell you that or when I remind you of that, I would anticipate that some of you might start to feel perturbed, all right? You might even begin to start thinking in your head and laying out some blame about what's happening and, and what's gone wrong. And I just wanted to tell you that's not what I'm here to talk to you about at all. Okay, I'm here to point to you why this is great news. I want to point at this new opportunity that is now ours. Because I believe that God does his best work when the odds are stacked against you. As we get started, I just want to... I'm sorry, I need to stop. I need to pray for just a moment. Would that be okay with you? Kind Father, hear our hearts today as we speak again to you and say a, a little bit more. A little bit more of you. Please. Lord Jesus, I pray that by your Holy Spirit today you would speak to me and then that you would speak through me. And I pray the same thing for my friends that are, that are gathered here today. That we would not just do this just to gather, but that you would speak to us. But don't stop there, please. Speak through us as well. We are yours to use. Be amongst us today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Ah, you might feel like the odds are stacked against you. That, uh, that make, they're stacked against the church as a whole. And how are we ever going to catch up with this? And what we're going to do is look at a story that I, I love. Just part of the story. You probably know it fairly well. So if you brought your Bible, we're going to go to Exodus chapter 14. Um, starting in verse 5. But if you have your phone with you, um, you can follow along with some notes, etc. On the free app called YouVersion. Y-O-U-V-E-R-S-I-O-N. YouVersion. You click it, open it up. And on the bottom right corner, there's a more tab. And then you can select events, and then you can select Stouffville Christian Ministerial Association, and it should take you right there. 
We're jumping into a story partway through, and this is uh, Pharaoh has agreed to let the people of Israel go. They're going to leave Egypt. So that's all in motion as we jump in. And then all of Egypt kind of goes and sleeps on that decision. And when they wake up, verse 5, when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds. And they said, what have we done? We have let the Israelites go, and we've lost their services. They changed their minds. No way. Uh-uh. What were we thinking? We just gave up our free workforce. How is our economy going to survive? Yeah, I know we suffered greatly under these plagues, and sure, a bunch of people died, but we need our slaves. We need our economy. Six. So he, he, he had his chariot made ready, and he took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with the other chariots of Egypt with officers over them all. So the largest superpower of the age is now gearing up to cry havoc and let slip the dogs of war. They are preparing to and equipping to unleash a new campaign, a chariot-based thunder run of shock and awe. And if you are Moses, or you're an Israelite, the odds are stacked against you, all right? You get nervous. When you look around and you see what is stacked against you, it's easy to become discouraged, maybe even despondent. Things have gone wrong. You know what? Somebody made a mistake. This, this is not what we had planned. We find ourselves in places like this all the time. So we jump back to the story, and we're going to get a little bit of a behind-the-scenes peek because the narrator um, steps out of the story action to just let us in on what's really going on in the background. Our God is not surprised by what's going on. So verse 8, the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen or charioteers and troops, all the Pharaoh's horses and all the Pharaoh's men were hustling to put Egypt back together again. And the full power and, and fury of a global superpower is now coming down on a nation of ex-slaves who probably don't even have any weapons. So he pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pi Hahiroth, opposite of Baal Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up. There were the Egyptians marching after them. And they were terrified and they cried out to the Lord. Terror makes sense, right? You'd be terrified. I'd be terrified. I'm panicking. We can experience similar things to this when it just feels like it's all coming. All the church that we're in, uh, we, we can feel like we're just up against it, right? Did you hear what the government is doing? Did you hear about those new laws? Do you know what those new laws are going to do? Why are the courts so unable to bring about goodness and righteousness and even justice in the land? Look at our nation. Look at how it has changed. Look at our town. Look at how it's not the same as it used to be. Oh, our culture has just become so secular. It's so anti-Christian. Oh no, everything has gone against us. How will we, the church, survive? Verse 11. They said to Moses, uh, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? 
What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to be slaves in Egypt than to die in the desert. And Moses answers the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm. And you will see the deliverance of the Lord your God today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. What do you mean, why are we crying out to you? You're God. Didn't you start this whole thing? Didn't you put us on this path? Who else but you can save us? There's Pharaoh, right, with all of his military power. And they're pounding down the beach towards us. And God says, so God says to Moses, um, tell the people to get moving, right? And he goes, great idea. Where are we supposed to go, right? So I'm wondering how I'll get free. Troops to the left of me, fishies to the right of me, here I am. Stuck in the middle with you. Chariots charging at us, okay? Large body of water splashing at us. Where are we supposed to go? What are we supposed to do? Are, are, are we going to drown? Or are we going to be slaughtered? Verse 16. Raise your staff and stretch it out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. That's a new thing. All right? That's not one of the plagues. In their time of need, God did a new thing. It's unexpected. So my best hope of escape is to put my arm over the water and divide it so that we can walk through on dry ground. I have never seen that before. I have never heard of that before. No one that I know has ever done anything like that before. There is no way. It doesn't work like that. There's no way that I can see how this will work out. Trust you, God? Is that what you're trying to say? Trust you? You're going to do something that I can't see? Something that I can't even understand? 17. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. Oh, great. So now they're going to slaughter us and we're going to drown at the same time. And I will gain glory through the Pharaoh and his army, through the chariots and through his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. And right there. Did you hear it? That's the amazing thing about having the odds against you. God gets all the credit. When the odds are overwhelmingly against you, when things work out, we know why. We can point out again that Jesus is at work in our midst. We can tell others the story. Jesus. Again, we point to Jesus. Again, don't let your eyes be cast down, but eyes up. When our eyes slide down, the questions tend to move to stuff like, well, how are we going to die? Are they going to slaughter us or are we going to drown? And maybe that's where you are. Maybe you look around and you know things have changed. When you, when you look at things, how, how things are going for you and for the people that are close to you, you want to say, like, but, but what will happen? Will we be slaughtered or will we drown? 
Death is the only way out. But if you've been in pursuit of, in earnest pursuit of Jesus for any length of time, then I bet you have a story about when you were in a situation that was kind of similar to this. And I'll tell you, I love being a part of Into One. We have so many great people and so many great uh, stories and how God has repeatedly opened doors for us. And that seems to be our theme, God opening doors and us trying to decide whether or not we should go through them. And one time I can remember getting a call from the bank and they said, hi, we're calling because you have no money in your account and uh, you have a check that's trying to clear. Yes. Yes, yes, it is going to bounce. <laughs> but if you can get over here within 30 minutes and put cash in, there will be no additional charges. So I rushed over. I had no time to call anybody. Um, I took the cash out of my bank account and I deposited to, just to keep us solvent. And as I did that, I, I knew that there were more checks that were set to cash. I, I knew that my payroll check would now not be able to cash. I knew that my expense checks would, would not be able to cash. What are, what are we gonna do? And, and so I, I called up the, uh, the members of our steering committee, or steercom, and, and then I met with a guy for lunch, and he said to me, not unkindly, uh, I know this is a hard time. Would you like me to help you shut it all down? Um, and, I, and I thought about that when I heard it. We're a church plant, so you know that's what happens. Is this how we die? Is, is this the end of the dream? And, and I lingered there for a while, pondering. But, but then I thought back to what God had already done. And I thought back to the incredible things that we had already seen. I thought back to the work that God had begun in me and in us. Nope. I'm not ready to give in. Do, do you have go-to verses when you feel overwhelmed? Verses that you, in, in good times, you decided were, were very important for tough times? I do. I go to them a lot. One of my favorites came streaking back into my head. It's Galatians 6, 9. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Don't give up. And then I remembered my paraphrase of Daniel chapter 3, 17 and 18. You can go read the story. My God can save me. My God will save me. But even if he doesn't, I want you to know, O king... I want you to know, oh thing that I fear. I want you to know, oh challenge that has risen up right in front of me. I will not serve you. I will not give in to you. My trust is in God and God alone. That was a Tuesday. I picked up the mail on Thursday. And in the mail there was a check from a guy who does not go to our church. Never been to our church. Never even visited. And they said, um, we really appreciate what you do in helping people. Uh, you, you helped a good friend of mine who's in a super hard time. Thanks. Hope this can help. And, and the help was a check. A check that was enough to cover the payments outgoing, my outstanding expenses, the outstanding payroll. When, when it felt like it was all over, it felt like that was it, it was done. But God... But God decided that he was going to once again make clear to me the partnership, the relationship that we have. I am not alone. I work in partnership with God the Father Almighty. And then later he showed up. And part of this partnership, part of his plan was to care for us and give us hope and a future as he arranged to have us gifted a building so that we could move into it. We had been overwhelmed. 
It was like everything was against us. That's the way that it felt. The only way out was the end. The only way out was death. But God. The question isn't how are we going to die? The question is how is God going to lead us to life? And most of the time when you're stuck in the middle, you have no idea. And I have been in places where I had no idea what the answer was. The, the, the answer uh, it was a mystery. It was, it was an intervention. It was a raft of provision. It was a declaration of partnership from God to me. And here's the problem slash the opportunity. It forces you to look forward. It is so compelling. It is so easy to look back. It's so easy to say, I wish that things were different. If only we had the building. If, if only we had completed that renovation. If only those people had never left. If only we had more time. If, if only it was different. If, if only the music was more something. If, if only the other people would just pull their weight. If only the government had approved this. If only the funding. If only more people would buy in. And you know what? Too many of us are trying to live now by looking back. We don't live in a majority culture, majority Christian culture anymore. In majority cultures, you live differently than you live when you're in the minority. Here's the shift. In a majority culture, when, when it felt like almost everyone went to churches, th this is how many of us behaved. Differences matter more than similarities. And many of our beliefs and, and traditions and, and practices were formed in a majority culture. Oh, what do you do? Yeah, that's not exactly our view of baptism, right? No, 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 that's not our understanding of communion. What are you even doing? Can you explain to me, please, what you believe about the Holy Spirit? Yeah, that's a little different than what we do. That's different than our version. We're going to have to go ahead and draw a line right there. And these distinctions, or our distinctives, they are not bad in themselves. But in a majority culture, the problem was that they get focused on too much. This, this is the most important thing, and it's not. They are highlighted, and they are emphasized more than the similarities. Second factor in, in majority culture is that distinctions are the key to momentum, to, to, to get you going. Uh, if we want to grow, we do it because we are different from other churches. We grow because we are bigger and we are better than other churches. Our this is better than your this. Or our or your that is, is better than our that. The distinctions, the things that make me different from all of the others are the key to that mystical forward motion called momentum. And too many of us are still living like that's the way. That, this, that that's actually true. But it's not true. In a majority culture, our unity can feel optional. We don't really need you. You don't really need me. Maybe, maybe it would be better if one of, a, one of us would just disappear and decrease the surplus population. The Christian world has behaved that way for far too long. But fortunately, fortunately for us, we are now in a minority culture. Now, and the rules are different. In a minority culture, what unites us is greater than what divides us. That's why I love, I absolutely love what is happening in this town right now. Even represented here this morning, we have a bunch of different people from a bunch of different kinds of churches here. 
stick together. Do you believe in the scriptures? Yes. Do you believe in Jesus, his death, and his resurrection? Yes. Okay, we can be friends. We can work together. Of course we do not see everything exactly the same. So let's not focus on what divides. Let's focus on what unites. We need each other. Our town needs us to work together. The mission of Jesus is too big not to work together. In a, in a minority culture, it's, it's no longer the differences and distinctions that matter, but the similarities are the key to our momentum. What would happen if we could deepen the cooperation and forget about the competing? Let's focus on what unites us rather than what divides us. And is this not the prayer of John 17, the high priestly prayer of Jesus? In doing this, in, in growing together in, in, in unity, being united, being perfected into one, we are becoming the answer to the prayer of Jesus. Isn't that amazing to consider? We could, through our living, being, and working together, be the answer to the prayer of Jesus. Let them be one as we are one. So what keeps us from unity? Well, we don't really know each other. But we can fix that. We are fixing that. And I'm so excited and so proud of what is happening in our town. And, and through the, uh, the, the coming together of the partnership of the, the Christian Ministerial Association. In the last couple of years, we have begun to, uh, to be more intentionally working on things like this service. Last fall, we launched Stoville Alpha. And we will be doing that again this coming fall. Get involved. Volunteer. We have now marched together twice in the coldest night of the year fundraising for Restore Method of Care Canada. Our strategy to provide compassionate care, do not say I hope somebody else does it, to say we can do it, but the church is working together to do it in Stouffville. And that's where all of our offering is going today again, just to, to bring that up. So if you missed the opportunity to participate or you need more time, take it at the end. Make sure you take the chance or you can give through your church directly. We've also been gathering once a month for our multi-church prayer gathering for our town. These things are fantastic. And they are leading us on a path, establishing the kingdom of heaven on earth and bringing glory to God. We don't really know each other. These are our events. or We're going to have events that you can participate together with to be the church of Stouffville, participating together. They each have a specific function, but they would all be made more robust if we could take the opportunity to get to know each other a little bit while we're there. How else can we be the answer to the prayer of Jesus if we don't care about each other and if we don't know about each other? So greet someone new today. Be bold. There's people here from all over. We need each other. Why? Because I don't believe that God is going to reach the entire town of Wichert Stoville through my church. Or through any one of our churches. And I don't believe that you think that about your church either. You are empowered. You can build relationships. You can build friendships. No competition. No rivalry. Movements are born in, in moments like these. And this is what our town needs. This is what our region needs. This is what our province needs. This is what our country needs needs. This is what our world needs. A movement of people who are committed to Jesus, 
who are constantly pointing to Jesus, a movement of people who are open to change, a movement of people who are empowered by the Holy Spirit. We need a move of God to us, in us, and then through us to that end. Let me help you get started, right? Let me help you to see some of the teammates that are all around you. Today, we need you to stand up tall and be bold. Let me call you out and welcome you to each other. So as I reference um, a category that you might be a, a part of, please stand and remain standing so that we can see each other. So if you are a pastor or the spouse of a pastor, please stand. Elders, deacons, steering committee members, church leadership, please stand. Care planners from Restore, please stand. Those who were involved or will be involved in Stoville Alpha, please stand. Those who attend the monthly church prayer gathering, please stand. Worship leaders, band members, choir members, song leaders, please stand. Small group leaders, Sunday school teachers, VBS leaders, kids camp counselors, directors, youth leaders, please stand. Church admin folks, please stand. All of those who have walked in the uh, coldest night of the year fundraiser, please stand. All of those committed to the Lord Jesus Christ in Stouffville, please stand. We are not the majority anymore. And that opens us up even more to see the incredible working of God around us and through us. To watch God triumph when the odds are stacked against us. Let me pray a blessing over you this morning. Kind Father, I thank you for your work in this town. I thank you for the work that is happening to bring new things up that did not exist before. For these that have stood, claiming your name. For those who have dedicated their time, effort, money, their time, their treasure, their talent. God, I pray your, your blessing upon them. Holy Spirit, I pray for your filling in them that they would be equipped and encouraged to do the work that you have called them to do. Not the work that they want, the work that you have called them to do. To use the gifts that you have set aside for the church to build the church. And through that to benefit our entire community. When we are united, when you can work through us, incredible things can happen. You have shown us that through history when 12 were sold out and committed. The world was changed. Instead of us pointing our fingers at somebody else or something else and saying, that shouldn't be, or I don't like that, may we be the change. Use us. Build relationships through us. This town is filled with people who are desperately lonely. Use us, Lord Jesus, to make a difference, to grow your kingdom on earth, just like you're growing it in heaven. Bless these, your friends and your children today, in Jesus' name. Amen. Our God is good and faithful, isn't he? Uh, hallelujah. Let's declare that in this place and in this atmosphere. How great thou art.